This is episode number 100. Yeah, you heard that right. Episode number 100 of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball, it's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you in to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Indeed, it is episode number 100. It's funny how things kind of work out sometimes because we are recording this podcast as we generally do on Sunday night. It is the evening of Sunday, January 27th. The biggest event of the offseason for the Brewers is Brewers on Deck, and there's always a lot of news and notes and talking points coming out of Brewers on Deck, and it happened the day of Sunday, January 27th. So, here we are, episode 100 of the podcast, and it's the day of Brewers on Deck, which is kind of cool that it worked out that way. And I promise you, when we were starting this podcast uh, a couple years ago, we did not plan it out this way, that episode number 100 would be on the day of, uh, of Brewers on Deck. We've got a lot to go, to, a lot to get to, I should say, here on this edition of the podcast. My name is Matt Pauley. Welcome in. Appreciate you being tuned in. Also, thanks to everybody. Uh, before we get into anything else, had a bunch of folks come up at uh, Brewers on Deck, and a few people mention uh, the podcast uh, in addition to my radio work on WTMJ. It's really cool to uh, meet some of the folks that uh, listen to this podcast. So thank you so much for uh, for the nice words and for coming up and uh, we had a full house. It had absolutely nothing to do with me, but we had a full house during the uh, WTMJ show that we did from uh, 12 o'clock to 4.30 at Brewers on Deck, where we had a ton of people make their way in, and uh, that's always, it's, it's a highlight for me. It is, it's one of the best things that I get to do on an every-year basis is get to be part of uh, Brewers on Deck and everything we do there, and I got to be part of the uh, media panel that they do each year where it's uh, Tom Hodricord and Todd Rosiak from the Journal Sentinel, Adam McAlvey from uh, Brewers and MLB.com, and then me, the radio guy, is uh, up there as well, and a lot of folks uh, made their way over there to uh, listen to uh, the four of us or listen to three of them plus me uh, talk a little bit, so that was, uh, that was cool. So kind of a high. Always, uh, I'm always pretty jazzed up after uh, that event, and uh, that is certainly the case uh, this year. We got a lot to get to uh, on this week's edition. As you would expect, want to touch on some of the talking points, as mentioned, that come out of uh, Brewers on Deck. Before we go any further, though, we will take care of our normal housekeeping items. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be spectacular. Helps uh, people find the podcast, and uh, we want more and more people to be able to uh, find it. Also, if you are uh, looking for uh, what we did on WTMJ uh, for all the um, all the interviews and everything uh, that we did uh, during the course of that uh, four and a half hour show. Uh, you can head to WTMJ.com. We actually have two Brewers-related podcast pages. This one, the Brewers Extra Innings, but then uh, pretty much uh, everything that does not involve me uh, can be found over on the uh, first pitch. So uh, if you go to WTMJ.com, and then you go to WTMJ Mobile Podcast. You get the happy little drop-down menu. You then scroll on down to First Pitch, the WTMJ Brewers flagship podcast. You can go back and you can hear all the interviews that we did at uh, at On Deck. Here, I'll, I'll just I'll go through them uh, very quickly. We had Ben Gamble, Eric Thames, Chase Anderson, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, uh, David Stearns, Craig Council, Corey Spangenberg, Brent Suter, uh, Sophia Minert, and also uh, Bobby Euchre and Mark Atanasio together. So all of those interviews, and there was some good stuff in them, are available at WTMJ.com. So hopefully you will check that out if you did not hear it live as we were doing it. And we had the we had the Trimal Cast, as I think what we called it, where we were also on uh, ESPN Milwaukee and ESPN Madison. So that was uh, that was fun. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I was in the middle of my uh, housekeeping items. I'm going to be all over the place today. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Apple Podcast, you can uh, leave a ranking and review. That would be great. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter, 
at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Our featured guest this week, the guest on episode 100 of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, is going to be uh, one of our favorites. Jim Goulart is going to join us coming up in just a few minutes, so we look forward to uh, that conversation coming up in just a bit. I want to touch on two things here, and, and we'll we'll get our headlines of the week coming up in a moment where we'll get to a whole bunch of items. But to, uh, so there's been some weeks here on the podcast, some of the slower weeks where it takes me a little while to kind of figure out what exactly I want to talk about here uh, in our in our opening portion of the show. Not the case this week, and there's a couple things that I certainly want to get into. Uh, first off, the news from early in the week that Miller Park is no longer going to be Miller Park. In a couple years, uh, the naming rights going to American Family Insurance. There was... There was an uproar on social media, and sometimes I don't know if it's a vocal minority or sometimes I don't know if it's a true majority of people who are upset about something. I'm not trying, please believe me when I say this, I'm not trying to discount your emotions and the way you feel about things if you're somebody who uh, was really, really upset about this. I understand the place that Miller has uh, inside of the city of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin, for that matter, it is a it is a big part of the culture, and just the fact that the Brewers play in Miller Park has been absolutely perfect. I get that. I'm not running away from that. I'm not going to tell you that that's not the case. It is. Here's the bottom line on this. Miller is probably I, Miller is still a very successful company. I don't think Miller is hurting for for money, but there have been some layoffs at, at Miller recently, and we don't know if they were willing to extend the naming rights deal at at, at what valuation they would have done that. And the Brewers, at the end of the day, do need to create money. They need to find as many revenue sources as possible. It is a business, but I don't think Mark Atanasio really runs the team to make money. Good owners in sports don't run their teams to make money. The way you make money uh, is by owning a team, increasing the value of the team, and then making that money if you ever sell it eventually down the road. So for, for good sports owners, and there are some owners out there that do try to kind of live off the, uh, the, the, the profits and the revenue that come out of their team, but I would argue those owners are not good. Uh, there are some teams where the revenue is so great that it would be impossible to you know, kind of put all that money back into the club. I think Mark Atanasio does a, does a really good job of not trying to it, – it's, it's not his personal bank account. You know, it's kind of the opposite. It's his it's his day job that kind of finances the Brewers in a way. Not that they're uh, not making money; they are, but that's not where he's creating his his wealth. You know, on a day to day basis. But all that being said, y- you have to make money in a smaller market like Milwaukee. You try to create as many revenue sources as you possibly can. Now, Major League Baseball is in such a great shape right now, and, and the money that's coming, you know, the revenue sharing that's going across baseball, everybody's got money to spend right now. So I'm not, I'm not crying for anybody, but I'm simply trying to lay some facts. I saw somewhere where somebody mentioned the fact that Miller had cut about 3% of their workforce recently. I, I, I assume that to be true. I just saw it. I haven't researched it. So if I'm incorrect on that, you can feel free to, uh, to correct me on it. A Wisconsin-based company has come in. It does not appear that Miller was going to uh, stick around as the naming rights uh, partner for the Brewers. And a Wisconsin company has come in and basically picked it up. And not only are they doing that, they're going to be building a building or or opening up an office in Milwaukee, in downtown Milwaukee at some point, and bringing in a whole bunch of jobs. They're investing in the city. They're investing in the community. Again, not trying to put down your your emotional uh, feelings of Miller Park not being Miller Park anymore. I get that, and it's legit. But I think trying to, you know, the idea of 
not giving AmFam probably some of the credit they deserve as a Wisconsin company that's willing to uh, kind of buy into the community, if that makes sense. I, I think that's something that we, we should be doing. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. We live in a world where it's okay to disagree with each other. But I just, um, if it wasn't going to be Miller, hey, it's a company that's Wisconsin-based, and it's a company that's going to invest in the community, and it's a situation where the brewers probably need that money. Uh, and should be and should be going and, and getting that money. It's part of, you know, there's a lot of naming rights deals out there. So it, it's an opportunity to create that revenue stream. Or not even create it, but just continue that revenue stream. They haven't released, you know, the Miller was paying about $2 million a year. That seems really low. Uh, everybody has said that uh, the deal that AmFam has signed, people who uh, are in the know on what they're spending, is that it's a, uh, it's it's a correct amount. It's a it's a fair deal on both sides. I don't know what that means. I don't know how much money they're spending, but it's uh it's it's a few bucks that's for sure. And I to me, not trying to be an apologist here. For me, uh, the Brewers have done enough with uh, the willingness to spend some money uh, to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, especially here recently. Second thing, and this is more related to Brewers on deck. Uh, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with Ryan Braun. Braun, uh, if you remember, let's let's rewind a little bit. Braun last year, at the end of the season, kind of this didn't get as much publicity as it should have either. Uh, he kind of mentioned the fact that he was tweaking his approach at the plate to try to make up for um, his his hard contact rate, but it not resulting in hits. He had some of the hardest contact in all of baseball last year. But he didn't have a very good batting average. He wasn't getting many hits. He wasn't hitting that many home runs. And in the final month or so of the season, he kind of tweaked some stuff. He talked about the the launch angle revolution, and, and the numbers got better. Well, and, and by the way, just uh, you know what, I'm not even gonna go there. We'll see how things get started here. Uh, I was gonna make a comment about people who were very critical of Braun and his and his numbers last season because the average wasn't there. But when you kind of dug in on those numbers a little bit more, people had a hard time. That sometimes people don't want to hear about hard contact. Who cares about hard contact if you're not getting hits? If you're hitting it right at guys, who who cares about hard contact? And from a very raw standpoint, I understand that. But there's there's value. And looking into those numbers a little bit, and I would, I would go. I would rather have a guy on my team who is hitting for hard contact and hitting into bad luck than a guy who's a soft contact hitter and just keeps getting blue pits because eventually that's going to turn around. Only one of those things is sustainable uh, in terms of um, the the positive side of it. Uh, you're you're not gonna keep getting blue pits to fall. You, you hit with hard contact. Eventually, those are gonna uh, start to start to go for hits. But Ryan Braun did mention that this offseason is spent uh, with the coach trying to kind of tweak things with his swing, uh, where if he can recreate the hard contact, he'll be able to get more hits. You know, put more into the gap, hit more home runs, that sort of thing. I'm I'm gonna be so interested in watching and seeing how this plays out because if he can replicate the hard hit uh, the the hard hit contact percentage that he had last year and start to implement launch angle to a point where more of those are going to come for hits we could see a little bit of a revitalization of Ryan Braun and that could you add that and Yasmani Grandal that's that's something to be potentially very excited about. Now, who knows how it's going to happen? You know, baseball players tweaking a swing, changing your swing is really tough. And you know, think about it from Ryan Braun's perspective. You know, this guy is not exactly someone who is super young. Guys, guys, thirty-five. Guy's been around for a while. Guy has been swinging the bat for the most part the same way. You know, for the better part of the last, what, 20 years, 18 years, 15 years, somewhere in there. And you're going to try to go. And we asked him on WTMJ during Brewers on Deck is, you know, will people be able to notice the change in your swing? And I think the way he answered it was he hopes that people will be able to notice the change in the numbers. So he didn't completely answer that question. So how, you know. 
social media is so good at you know the overlays and things like that. Once we get into the season, I assume there's going to be some side-by-side comparisons of what Braun has looked like previously in his career and what Braun looks like now. That's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the swing looks different if the swing looks different. Uh, but that's a to me that's a big thing that could possibly happen this upcoming season and looking forward to that. So just a couple of uh, general thoughts. We'll get into uh, a lot more stuff as we get into this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so we hit, the, uh, we hit two of them. The naming rights deal with American Family Insurance. That will go into effect in a couple of years. They have yet to decide on what the exact stadium name is going to uh, be, but uh, American Family Insurance will step in as the naming rights sponsor for what is currently uh, Miller Park. And uh, also talk about Ryan Braun and uh, working with a uh, private hitting coach over the course of the winter to try to take advantage of the hard contract rate and uh, use uh, launch angle and revolutions and things like that to be able to uh, kind of move forward. So we touched on those things uh, just now. A couple other notes, especially coming out of uh, Brewers on deck. Uh, David Stern said that uh, they are very aware of what this offseason has looked like for Christian Yelich. Think about the last year for Christian Yelich. I asked him about this at, at on deck. So he, he got traded to the Brewers not long before last year's on deck. You know, by the time on deck starts, it's just about time for spring training. He goes through spring training, gets into the season. Season extends to the postseason, extended postseason run, ends up winning the MVP, has a whirlwind of events that he's got to go through uh, during the offseason. He was in New York on Saturday night. I mean, there was just there was a million things going on. And he even said that he's looking forward to these two weeks before spring training as that chance to finally breathe. So all that being said, uh, the Brewers are going to talk to Yelich about maybe a light playing schedule uh, early on in camp uh, just to give him a little bit more rest going in. Jimmy Nelson says he's going to be full go headed into spring training. There had been some talk about this uh, recently, some comments made that you know they're going to watch Jimmy Nelson and they're going to be uh, careful and cautious with him, and clearly they're still going to be careful and cautious. But uh, Jimmy Nelson was uh, very confident in his ability to go into spring training at 100%. And he said not only is his goal to break camp and be on that 25-man roster when the season starts and to be in the five-man rotation when the season starts, but he wants to start opening day, that that is his goal at uh, this point in time. So good news from uh, Brent Suter. He is uh, completely out of the you know slings and everything, and he's actually throwing the baseball a little bit. He uh, played catch for the first time this past week. Uh, he underwent Tommy John surgery last July 31st, and he believes that he is going to pitch before the end of this season. Uh, he told us that uh, the veterans who have maybe been through this before say don't try to push it too hard. Listen to what the doctors and the trainers and the physical rehab people are saying, but go about uh, the process. But uh, good to see Brent Suter going out and um, throwing a little bit uh, as he continues to try to uh, come back. And I think I think it would be somewhat important for him to be able to pitch again this season. Now, one thing we can say about Tommy John surgery is a lot of times you come back but it's kind of it's the year after the year that you res- return to who you were before. Yeah, I I don't know what to expect from him this season. Let's say he is able to return in August or September. For me, and we'll see what the season looks like at that point in time. For me, it's more about just getting him that experience, getting him the opportunity to go out there and pitch a little bit, and the opportunity to go into next off season as a full regular normal offseason so that in 2020 he would be able to uh, kind of become the guy that he was again when he got injured and he had really kind of taken a, a step forward. Uh, so that's uh, that's our, our headlines of the week. A lot of other notes coming out of uh, Brewers on Deck, kind of some personal uh, you know, kind of anecdotes and things like that. I encourage you to uh, certainly read everything uh, out there and, and listen to our stuff as well at WTMJ.com. Mentioned uh, those, the first pitch podca- podcast and everything that was uh, put together earlier. But for now, those are this week's headlines of the week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable 
and it starts now. Brewers Externities, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Time for a social media conversation. Very happy to welcome in the original link reporter over at BrewerFan.net. You can follow him on Twitter at Mass underscore Haas. It is uh, Jim Goular. Jim, great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you very much. I guess the the wheel of guests for episode 100 landed on me, and I'm, I'm honored, and we'll we'll gladly accept. We'll have a good little chat here. Well, I'm glad to have you on here on episode 100 of uh, Brewers Experience Podcast. Uh, I today was the Brewers on Deck event, and. It, I, I don't know what you've seen in terms, and we're recording this clearly on Sunday night as I, as I make that statement. Uh, I don't know what you've seen. One of the things that popped out was Ryan Braun mentioned the fact that he'd worked with a hitting coach to try to take advantage of uh, you know the 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 launch angle revolution as they like to to call it. Uh, not a whole lot came out beyond that. It seems like every year there's something notable of Brewers on deck. I guess just more than anything else from afar as you were maybe seeing what was taking place via social media. Did anything jump out to you? Yeah, it was definitely from, from social media. Um, I definitely appreciated the fact that uh, the especially the youngsters that were in town maybe weren't quite prepared for the winter blast that you folks have been having. Um, a lot of people know I'm based here in the Northeast. If the accent doesn't give it away, and we've had kind of a uh, a few few really frigid days, but it's been a mild and kind of snow-free winter. So uh, I do feel, because I've seen as many weather updates as brewer updates on my timeline as of late. Um, from a distance, uh, the Jimmy the Jimmy Nelson talk, um, while it's been consistent throughout the off season, with Jimmy feeling maybe overly confident in, in where he might be on opening day, but you have to love his. Uh, bravado so to speak and and his anticipation and then the brewers trying to still put the brakes and a little bit more cautious uh approach on that uh there was certainly other aspects of the day that that caught my eye but the Braun piece that you just mentioned hey listen um jd martinez kind of started this all uh and josh donaldson uh the two i guess most vigorous proponents of the special a training that they received in terms of advancing their bat strokes. And if Brody can do it age, what, 34 now, I think, um, this could be fascinating. And it could also be something that he says 10 days into spring training, uh, I'm abandoning it, depending on how it goes. So we'll see how that goes. It was um, an interesting quote from Mark Adnastio regarding uh, – the name change on the, the ballpark, which to me is, is way overblown, but to see him address it specifically in a more of a casual setting like that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, we can touch on several topics, but those are some of the ones that caught my eye just from the, uh, the Twitter timeline today. Yeah, a lot of stuff to get to there. Let's let's get to Braun here for a second. And if, if folks remember, he... he the the launch angle revolution light version of Ryan Braun was what we saw in the final month of the year last year. Now he was the statistically he was the most unlucky hitter in baseball, and his hard contact rate was one of the best, if not the best, of his career last year. But he kept hitting right at you know right right at people, and he kept making out. So late in the season, he started to kind of focus in on what he could do from a launch angle standpoint and late in the season over the course of the final month or so his power numbers went up he hit a few more home runs he hit a few more doubles and that was just him kind of doing it on the fly at the end of the season Jim I would have to think that a concerted effort even more so than what he did in the middle of the season could certainly reap some really solid benefits especially if he can find a way to if he can replicate his hard contact rate from last year and then utilize launch angle to try to put it in places where it's going to result in hits, that could be a huge thing for the Brewers this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that, you know, several years ago, and look, he did it to himself, uh, Ryan Braun tainted his name, but let's face it, the talent is immense, always has been, and regardless of what happened, you know, earlier in his career, if he can rejuvenate and, and reinvent even a little bit, like you said, coming off of September and October and carry it forward, now you've got potentially somebody with 
doesn't necessarily have to be the three hitter in, in a lineup that is deeper and really could provide the balance because Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Kane, to ask them to duplicate 2017, it's going to be difficult. And now all of a sudden, if Braun can lift his numbers just based on what you said, luck and the new approach, well, now you're striking a balance where those three, um, you know, with, with Braun hopefully healthy for, let's say, 125 games, now you're talking about potentially the best outfield in MLB. Um, I don't think you're going to see Braun at first base. Um, so we are really talking left field, center field, right field, a really strong combination there. And I'm all for it. Ryan Braun is an incredibly talented hitter. We know that. And let's see what these tweaks do. He's a, he is a very mental uh, fascination with the game. You can tell he's uh, just so advanced in that type of uh, thought process. He'll do it right. And if it works for him, uh, we have a chance to really be enthralled at what's, what we're going to see in that Brewer outfield this year. Braun's going to get his days off. I think the almost the the more days off, the better. There's there's obviously a limit to that, but uh, if 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 they're very liberal with those days off, especially in the first two months of the season, I think that pays out dividends for him in terms of health and production. Lorenzo Cain is no spring chicken as it sits right now. Uh, ben Gamble is your fourth outfielder. Now, we talked to Eric Thames on our WTMJ show during Brewers on Deck, and he openly talked about the fact that some of his training this offseason has been you know, running sprints and things like that. Obviously, he's keen himself to be able to maybe be more equipped to uh, to play in the outfield this upcoming season. But our, our, look, there, there's so many free agents out there, and there's so much time still left, but are you comfortable with the outfield alignment uh, with a Ben Gamble, with an Eric Thames being as guys who would play on days that uh, a Braun or, or a Kane might not be in the starting lineup? Yeah, I'm not thrilled with picturing Thames in right field. Uh, I can definitely, if, if it's been a while since we've seen some left field action from him, but um, I could definitely see him there uh, on a regular sub basis, a regular sub basis. But um, the. Gamble's going to see action in all three spots, depending when you occasionally rest Kane and Yelich. So, yeah, I there's not going to be a fifth outfielder added, so to speak, because you've got Hernan Perez, who's also capable of playing um, really all three spots uh, in a pinch. So it's going to be Gamble. I know has the option left as well, the minor league option, but I don't expect to see that utilized unless there's some unique circumstances. So without a true fifth outfielder being added... And still time for possibly a Thames trade, uh, depending, you know, maybe he lights it up in spring training and there's an American League DH need somewhere and, and there's a match. But for right now, yeah, I think it's going to be a gamble as the true fourth outfielder. And then uh, I'm comfortable with Thames, but I did not see pretty played out of him in right field last year. So uh, let's see if uh, a more limited situation in left will uh, will work out. And that's where Braun is, and Braun's the one that needs the days off. Uh, we had Corey Spangenberg on today, and it was the first time I'd talked to him. I liked the guy personally. He he really came off well to me. It was funny. I I asked him uh, before. He was just sitting next to me when we were at a commercial break. And I know there's a number of Major League Baseball teams that do – events somewhat similar to Brewers on Deck, whatever they happen to call them. Not all the teams. It's a it's a handful that do them, and I wasn't sure if the Padres did one or not. And I asked him, have you ever seen one? Did you ever do one of these in San Diego? And he kind of laughed at me like I was a, like I was a dumb guy because in a fun way because he was – I don't want to say overwhelmed, but he was really, I think he was excited by seeing the way the fan base was and all those people there. So that that was cool. If nothing else, for people listening to this podcast, uh, the way that the fans show up, even for an on-deck event, impacts a player just joining the organization. But Spangenberg's a guy who penciled in kind of at second right now. We'll see what happens there, but he can play in the outfield as well. He also has the option. A lot of what you just said about Gamble, I feel like you can kind of say about Spangenberg. Yeah, and this is interesting, too, because I think this conversation is eventually going to roll around to second base and the possibility of an addition there. There's so much flexibility in the position player 
uh, roster that they have right now, even though you've got guys with options like Saladino and Spangenberg, um, you, you also have to remember that a, a regular addition to the second base, I really thought that was going to happen at some point. I think even I was, uh, the last time we spoke, Matt, I was a big Daniel Murphy proponent at the time. Um, as a you know a one year stopgap, I know he ended up with a two year deal in Colorado, but let's talk about this. You know, Spangenberg is another one that can that can be sent out to the outfield for for brief stints. So remember, Spangenberg was a first round talent, and while we know that not all first round draft picks work out, I think he was actually a, a ninth or tenth overall as well. So. There's something there. The Brewers have commented. They think there's something there. They think that his left-handed bat will play in Miller Park, which is um, great. And we'll have to, uh, in two years from now, address the way we even make comments like that. We'll play up in Miller Park. But um, the situation there is that he's excited to be here. I don't blame him. Nice opportunity for him. They went out and uh, picked him up from a situation where he didn't have a home and looking forward to seeing him and, and how he in, integrates into the roster. All right, so let's get to second base for a second since we're since we're there and I'm I'm getting I'm really curious on this because if we, if there's one thing we know about David Stearns, it's that he doesn't have to, you know, share his plans and he he keeps things close to the vest. And I there's times where I feel like there's these assumptions that are made about the team from outside sources and 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 outside forces that are not are not true. I, I go back to last year on the July 31st trading deadline, and I remember the MLB Network guys just going crazy, thinking, what in the world are the Brewers doing not going and getting a, a starting pitcher and making all these assumptions? And they were, they were comfortable with what they were at. So we, either as media or as fans or observers, whatever you want to call it, we have this assumption that they're still going to go sign somebody to play second base in one way or another, whether it's, you know, there's still talk about Moustakis. If that is the case, then Shaw would go back to second or sign a, a conventional second baseman. And, yeah, that could still happen. It absolutely either. In fact, I would say the probability is that it will happen. But, Jim, I, I think we also need to account for the possibility that they are completely comfortable with where they're at at second base right now, that whether it's Spangenberg, whether it's Hernan Perez, whoever it might be, that these guys can go do the job for a couple months, and there's an assumption that those, you know, your studs in the minor leagues, namely Keston Hira, um, are going to be there and be available, and Hira's not the only guy. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's multiple options, but I... I have to at least put that on the table as something that's a true possibility that they're going to, um, more than anything else, they're just going to try to keep the seat warm at second. There was this glut of second baseman at the beginning of the, the hot stove, I guess the lukewarm stove, we'll call it, uh, earlier in the season. And one by one, that list has really, really dwindled. And I think one thing we really have to remember here is that Mauricio Dubon yep. is going to be out on a mission to prove just how healthy he is. He's already on the 40-man roster. Uh, Keston Hira doesn't need to be on the 40-man roster now. He's currently not on the 40-man. Um, I think we all think he will be there at some point this year, at the very, very minimum uh, in September, but you know, likely well before that. Those two guys are going to be... A heck of a, the fans in San Antonio are going to be treated to a heck of a middle infield to start off April and May. Those guys are right on the cusp. Uh, we know that Dubon would have been up earlier after the you know Eric Sogard debacle of 2018, et cetera, and, and the other troubles they had there. Not to interrupt you, but I'm going to probably yeah. with, probably within a week of that injury. Like all, if you remember, you know when he was coming to Milwaukee when he got injured, some of us thought that okay, is this you know the the initial report that he's headed to Milwaukee, or the, maybe it was the initial him missing a game. I, I don't remember the exact details on it, but there was this sense that okay, it's his time now. And, I mean, he was probably a week within a week of getting called up. 
I think 48 hours. Yeah. It, was, it was that close. 23-game hit streak, lighting it up, doing everything but really taking the base on balls. But, my goodness, he was doing everything else, uh, flashing the leather. The kid is a talent. The kid is personable. Um, the whole backstory with the first native Honduran player that's going to be here, just the fact that he's just another big cog from the, the Tyler Thornburg trade. There's so much great uh, backstory behind what appears to be somebody who could really be a fan favorite going forward, wherever he fits in. And then the fact that you've got Hura as well, um, this is a, a fantastic little piece in the back pocket of, of the Brewers. I don't think Dubon has been talked up enough in terms of national perspective, but it's just another reason why I think I don't have a problem with, with Hernan Perez facing left-handed pitchers in almost any situation. He's proven that he can, he can do the job there. So as long as you limit his activity against right-handed pitchers, anxious to see what Spangenberg is going to do, and then all these other second basemen have fallen by the wayside. I think when Estrubal Cabrera uh, signed, I believe, Texas, right? And, and then, like, he was like the, one of the last ones that was on the list that was probably going to be able to be had for a one-year deal. And when, now, when he fell as well, I was like, okay, this is really going to happen with the, the Perez Spangenberg opening. And knowing you've got Dubon, who I think will be up before Keston here. Um, just because partly of the 40 man and all that, and it's, it's here's first time in AAA. So they're going to be just fine, I think. And I think part of it too was, and we can talk about this in a moment, but the Grandal signing and that money being allocated there, I think that took a little bit of the um, ability, so to speak, to really wind up and, and go after a, a proven second baseman. I think they're going to be fine, and, and I think the fans need to, have an open mind about that as camp opens. Yeah, you make a great point on Grandal because he he lengthens the lineup. You you have you're able to. There were times last year where you know one through five you were pretty good, but then six, seven, mm-hmm. eight, or, and maybe more times you know seven, eight. But the bottom third of the order, even not including the pitcher, there were times where it was it was not doing so well. So by just by just getting Grandall and just extending the lineup by one more guy, that does you. You're not expecting much out of that second base position. No, and as far as lengthening the lineup too, I think we need to talk about um, fans who, who maybe follow some of the things we do at Brewer Fan or my my Twitter timeline. Know that I kind of fill the gaps a little bit with some of the winter ball updates, and I've. I don't know, made the mistake in the past where some lesser-known players or a minor league fringe guys have done really well in winter ball, and we play that up, and, and of course there's no fizzle in camp at all. But when it's a proven player, and Orlando Arcia went down to Venezuela this year, and uh, he just kind of put his team on his back, brought him into the playoffs, but it was consistent from day one. Right As soon as he arrived, it was taking walks, hitting the power, uh, Basically, after about three or four games, they said, well, we're putting him in the three spot because he's on fire, and he just pretty much stayed that way all winter. Now, all of a sudden, we saw it was painful. It was painful for four months last year. We all know it, maybe even five months. It was just tough to watch him at the plate, and we saw what happened in the postseason with him. Now, all of a sudden, you start to think with Grandal and Arcia, does this lineup go seven deep some days? Is it possible it could go eight deep? And I say it potentially could. At least we know it's going to be six, and it's not. There really shouldn't be a situation all season long where we look at it and go, no matter who's getting a, an occasional day off, okay, one through five, and then a black hole. I just don't see that happening, and that's a really good feeling heading into the season. This might be a nothing thing, but if we remember to last off season, uh, the Brewers were maybe reluctant on having some guys play winter ball. It, it seemed like that has changed. Do you think there's been, yeah, you know, under the David Stearns uh, tenure and his regime, do you think there's been any 
kind of shift in philosophy where maybe at one point they thought for some guys winter ball is a little bit too much, and then as you move forward, I'm th- I think uh, I think of Junior Garris specifically. I guess it was a couple seasons ago when they didn't mm-hmm. want him to play, and then this past season he did, and uh, it, it seemed to go better. Is is that more of a single thing you think with Garris, or do you think there's been a maybe some sort of movement with the organization where they weren't real excited about guys playing winter ball to going to a point where they like the idea of guys being a winter ball? I think they like the idea to a point. Um, winter ball is a really, I think it's even longer than some people realize. Like, right, look, within two weeks after the World Series, um, you know, there's, there's ball being played in, in the Dominican, and the so there's a really early portion of that. Um, one of the players that went down was a new 40 man roster outfielder, Troy Stokes, uh, who, who, Visited, uh, not visited, but he was in Venezuela and and took part. Uh, thankfully, before a lot of the unrest, but he really did well down there. And then, as far as their major leaguers go, it was the big three again, all in Venezuela: uh, Jesus Aguiar, Orlando Arcia, and what we just discussed, Junior Garris. So, I think it's still taken on an individual basis as far as the team goes. Might have scared them that Garris struggled. You know, the immediately after the winter that he didn't participate. So I don't, I don't know if this has been a, a major shift there, Matt. I think it's still going to be taken on an individual basis, uh, case by case. But um, it was nice to see that really, uh, although it took a little while for Aguiar's power bat to heat up this winter, uh, relatively, the sample got fairly large by the time he was done. Um, it was productive season for all three, so I don't think they'll be scared off next winter if there are some brewers that want to take part. All right, let's finish you off with this because we did have the announcement that here uh, when the naming rights for Miller comes up, it's going to be American Family Insurance, so the name of the ballpark is going to be changing. There was an incredible reaction on, on social media, I, and I don't mean to discount like people's feelings. I, I know I'm going to sound kind of cold and callous in that regard, but literally there's there's a GoFundMe page out there for people trying to raise money for this for this major corporation in Miller to keep their their name on it. And uh, Miller's been a great partner of the Brewers. Will continue to be a great partner of the Brewers. the The beer industry right now isn't great with uh, with all the microbrews and everything. Miller has. Um, uh, they have let go of I think like three percent of their workforce, so so clearly they're not in the they're still in a strong financial position. They're a perfectly fine company, but they're not in as strong of a position. American families coming in, they've got the money to spend on it. They're investing in the city of Milwaukee. This is a cool part for uh, I, I think because they're going to be building or they're going to be moving into a building or either building a new building or moving into a building uh, in downtown Milwaukee and bringing a lot of their operations there. So they're going be creating jobs in the area i understand from a nostalgia standpoint and just the connection between a team named the brewers and there being a beer sponsorship on the ballpark and all that i i understand the nostalgia but the the outrage that i've seen on social media has been a little bit surprising maybe i should never be surprised by anything on social media maybe that's a bad job by me but i guess where do you stand on uh what's gonna be happening here in a couple years with the uh naming of the stadium it just filler pack just rolls off the tongue you've got the script that you know from miller that really matches the font and everything else that the Brewers did with their logo. It almost seemed like it was tied in back when they rolled out the, the wheat, you know, the barley M, you know, as far as the, uh, the logo goes. There's Dodger Stadium, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, Yankee Stadium, uh, big markets that don't necessarily have to go out and get the corporate sponsorship for the stadiums, and they'd be pulverized if they did because of all the history. Even Tiger Stadium's not Tiger Stadium anymore. This was a corporate sponsorship, even though it just seems so natural. And I think that's the part that really caught people off guard with the, the emotional ties to it, because it, it just did flow in terms of, you know, it's, it wasn't an awkward stadium name from the start. It's been consistent for nearly 20 years now. So I can understand that. I'm disappointed that it's happening, but at the same time, there's not enough emotion to really make it 
the issue that it's become. And if, if social media wasn't around, let's say the park established itself in 1982 as Miller Park, and then let's say 15 years later, there was this change and there wasn't Twitter and, and all these places where people can just go to vent within however many characters it is now. I don't think there would have been the same uproar, so to speak, or if there was, it wouldn't have been as widely publicized. But social media being what it is today, it was so easy for people to just use that raw emotion immediately, and then you'd see the occasional people trying to just spearhead, let's let's talk about this rationally. That'll develop over time. Hopefully it'll be short and sweet, whatever the new name is, but... Let people have their moment. Let people get upset. I'm not going to, like you, be critical of those that did, but that's my thoughts on the subject. It's unfortunate, but in the big picture, if, if people are storming the field after a Game 7 win in the World Series, I don't, I don't really care what the name of the stadium is. Yeah, I think everybody's going to come around on, uh, on that one, and, and we'll see how it all, uh, how it all plays out. Uh, Jim, great stuff. I guess what's uh, uh, BrewerFan.net is just such a great uh, resource for, for Brewers fans. Maybe people are just finding the podcast and are, are not familiar with it. Can you take me through a little bit of what you guys have going on over there? Yeah, um, BrewerFan.net. Um, kind of evolved over the years to the point where it is a discussion forum above and beyond everything else. We'll let some of the other great sites out on the Brewers blogosphere um, produce their original content on top of what Brewers.com does. So it really is more than anything else a place to either read other people discuss or we hope you can jump in and discuss a myriad of topics, everything from the major league portion, minor league, transaction rumors, all the different little sub-forums are broken down. You can find your niche. Uh, even if you're a fan of just the prospects, it's a great place to go. And just we are welcoming. It's moderated. I, we, I think back, the, um, back behind the scenes at Brewer Fan, we have a dedicated crew of moderators. And we've been kind of caught up in the, uh, I guess, the Twitter type of uh, emotional aspect of things. I mean, this was a really great 2018 season. It's been a productive off season so far, and yet we still kind of have to rein in the emotion. And I think that's just the evolution of these forums and, and things like that. So our moderators do a great job and we, we keep heads level. Uh, the discussion is lively and we look forward to producing our content again for another year. I have to kind of gear myself up. We, we do a minor league recap on a nightly basis becomes a little more of a challenge every year because there's just so many feature stories and other things we can link to out there. But uh, I have some great friends and coworkers, so to speak, co-volunteers, if you will, and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen for another season. We're hoping it's a really good season for both the big league team and for us at Brewer Fan. I do think it's notable because we live in this world where social media is so negative. Like, There's times where I just want to be, I never want to see Twitter again for the rest of my life, but Twitter is a big part of what I have to do for my job. You can't get on sure. Facebook without seeing horrible arguments. And you know, just because somebody disagrees with somebody, they're the worst person in the world. And that's what, unfortunately, the internet and specifically social media has turned into. And I think the thing that is good about BrewerFan.net, and I, I don't count, I just read a lot of this stuff on there and it's fun that doesn't that that negativity and the name calling and all that sort of stuff doesn't exist because of the moderators so for people out there who do get frustrated with twitter and do get frustrated with facebook and the discourse that's going on there you're not going to see that negative stuff at brewerfan.net so it's almost it could almost be a respite from what is a bad internet experience if that makes any sense well i really appreciate you saying that um I don't do a lot of the moderating myself. I, I tend to personally focus on trying to present as many links and new content so that those can then morph into discussion topics. It's beyond me how people who do, we've got probably a dozen or more folks who, who do the moderation. And when you think about it, they're on top of nearly every thread, including even our, like our off-topic forums and, and things like that. So, it's getting more and more of a challenge to rein in the conversations occasionally. Um, maybe just uh, you know slap on the wrist every once in a while for some of our posters. <laughs> and I hope that 
they appreciate that they're listening, uh, the moderators and such, because they are so appreciated, and it's really kept the, the level of discourse um, above what we see in a lot of other places online. So uh, thank you for noticing that. And let's hope it continues for a good long time. Yeah, absolutely. Here's uh, Jim Goulart. Make sure to follow him uh, on Twitter at Mass underscore Haas. That's M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. Jim, I really appreciate you taking time. You're a wrestling fan. It's Royal Rumble night, and you are still taking time to do this uh, interview. So uh, that is very much appreciated. And uh, we look forward to talking to you, if not right before the season, uh, right after the season gets started. Yeah, my, my Twitter personality, my online personality is, is so Brewer-focused. People not, may not realize that um, I've been a, a diehard fan of the WWE for, you know, 40-plus years. So, uh, yes, I am. Right now it's on pause. I've got it on a bit of a delay, but I am going to enjoy what I consider uh, – the highlight of the WWE year is the night of the Royal Rumble. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate, I'm taking a little break talking to you, but it's been a fun conversation. So thank you so much. Jim Goulart joining us here on Brewers Extra Inc., the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, episode number 100. Can you believe that? But So but thank you a lot. I have a blast doing this podcast each week. This is something that uh, I enjoy doing. I like talking about baseball. I love talking about the Brewers. I want to do it. Uh, absolutely as often as possible there's no matter how bad a game might be there's never a time that i don't love doing the post game show afterwards there's times where it's frustrating there's times where you know there's callers that can get under my skin a little bit but at the end of the day still love what i'm doing i love doing this podcast and uh the fact that uh, we have a we have a pretty good audience listening to this podcast on every week basis and that's uh it's humbling. You're, you're sitting there listening to a podcast where I'm just rambling on for uh, for an hour or so, uh, more than anything else, bringing in some pretty cool guests who know a lot of stuff and get the chance to uh, talk to them, like Jim, who we just had on. Uh, but uh, thank you. Th- thanks to all the panelists who have been on, the guests that we've had on. Too many to mention here at this moment, but uh, they, they know who they are, and I'm very appreciative. And thanks to all the listeners as well. And uh, thanks to my bosses for continuing to let me uh, do this podcast on, a, on an every week basis because, I don't know, when I got this thing started a couple years ago, if you would have asked me, are you going to get 100 of these podcasts in, uh, I, I don't know what I would have said. I'm not sure if I would have said yes on that one. So here we are. So the first 100 in the book, we're ready to get the next 100 in, and we'll start that coming up next week on another edition of Brewers Extra Into Podcast Powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.